You can open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing it through Romans chapter 12. Last week we looked at verses 1 and 2. And we saw that the necessary response to the gospel is to present our whole lives as a sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul commanded us to resist conformity to this world and instead submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit's transforming work. These commands are the marching orders for the whole chapter. And as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, we are to obey these orders. The rest of the chapter explains, and really the rest of this book explains, how we are to obey these commands. If we are to worship God with our whole lives by committing everything to Him, then why are so many churches filled with people that only come to consume, with people that come to get and not to give. Sadly, many Christians have this unbiblical view of the church. They think that church is a social club or a concert and not a place to worship and serve Christ. We'll see this morning that the church is the body of Christ. By God's grace, all Christians are placed into this body at the moment of salvation. Every saint belongs to this fellowship of believers, and we should prove our belonging by getting involved in a local church. God designed the church to equip the saints for the ministry of building Christ's kingdom. So the answer to this hypocritical spirit of what can the church give to me is to ask, what can I give to this church? Living the gospel requires that we serve the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, we'll see that God has graciously gifted you to serve Jesus by serving his church. Remember, our lives are to be dedicated to Christ. We serve Christ because he died for our sins on a cross and rose again. We serve Jesus because he is our Savior, King, and God. He purchased us with his precious blood. We belong to him. Christ deserves all of our worship, all of our time, and all of our effort. So how should we serve our wonderful Savior? This passage gives us three attributes of grace-empowered service. Let's read Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. 
The first attribute of grace-empowered service is in verse 3. You can serve Christ's church with humility. Notice how Paul introduces this section. He says, for by the grace given to me. Paul is not speaking by his own power or authority, but by the all-powerful grace of God. He doesn't parade his status as an apostle to get praise and recognition. Rather, he points to Christ, the one who called and enabled him for this ministry. Paul's mindset of humility is our example to follow. He says, I say to everyone among you, that's everyone, that's you and I, that's everyone that has ever read this letter. He's talking to you. And what is he saying? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Or don't have an inflated view of your own importance. Get over yourself. If someone with the position of an apostle is telling you to not have a prideful attitude, to not be self-absorbed, then none of us is exempt. We have to guard against this mindset that says, this church needs me. They need me here. Now, it's not wrong to have a sense of belonging in your church, but if you entertain this attitude that everyone is blessed by your presence and that everyone needs you here, then you are being prideful. Paul is commanding you to stop this this sinful thinking. In contrast to this prideful mindset, we are to think with sober judgment. That means to have the attitude of modesty and wisdom. Instead of thinking yourself with such high regard, consider the cold, hard facts. Without God, you are a rotten sinner that deserves an eternity in hell. Without God's grace, you're a rebel, a pagan, a child of wrath. Before Christ, you were dead in sin, helpless and lost. But thankfully, because of Jesus Christ, we have been rescued from this state. And we have been given new life. But that's all by the grace of God. We never deserved it. We never earned it. Our testimony should be a sobering reminder to all of us of who we are and who God is. Paul is using the metaphor of intoxication. If you are drunk with alcohol, then your judgment is impaired. You can't see straight, and you definitely can't think straight. That's why we can't drink and drive. It impairs your judgment. When we are intoxicated with ourselves, with our abilities, or with our ideas, then we can't think straight, and our service is repulsive to the Lord. Paul is warning us to not become egoholics. Don't be an egoholic. Don't be addicted to yourself. This mindset of pride and selfishness has no place in the church or in the Christian life. We have to be humble. We have to recognize that we are nothing in ourselves. But in Christ, we can be used for the glory of God. 
That's the beauty of verses 1 and 2. That God has saved us to serve him with our lives. 1 Peter 5.5 tells us, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God rejects the service of the proud, but welcomes the humble. He welcomes the service of those who are humble. We are to have this humility. Paul says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, faith can refer to the trust that we put in Jesus Christ for salvation or the trust that we place in Christ for sanctification. The trust that we place in him to enable us to serve. And the New Testament talks about both saving faith and sanctifying faith very closely because you can't have one without the other. If you are saved, then you are being sanctified. You are being changed into the image of Christ. And if you are being sanctified, then you are definitely saved. You can't have one without the other. And this is why we need to be humble. Because we have been called to exercise our faith in service to one another. God has given each of us gifts of grace to be exercised by faith, confident trust in God. These gifts have been delivered and empowered through the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. We all have different abilities and gifts by the grace of God that we can use for his glory. But you can't serve the church and bring glory to God if you're all about yourself. Pride is maybe the single most destructive sin in the church. Nothing will stunt a church's growth faster than the attitude of pride. And the sad part is it's so easy to become prideful. Because really all sin is a manifestation of our pride. When we sin, we, are, we think that we are above God's law. That's pride. The growth of this church will be wounded if someone starts acting out of pride. Pride demands its own way. Pride puts others down. Pride seeks its own glory and recognition. The devil wants nothing more than for you to stop serving others and to start helping yourself. Each of us has the responsibility to this church and to the God of this church to humble ourselves and serve. So how can we cultivate this mindset? How can we be humble? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 has the answer. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi about this topic, says in chapter 2, verse 1, so, the, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we be more humble? There is nothing more humbling or sobering than the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. The fact that the perfect Son of God willingly and lovingly stepped down from the glory of heaven to become a man, to die on a cross, the most gruesome and painful death imaginable at the hands of sinful rebels to save people that were helpless, hopeless, and lost. And now he is the exalted king of the universe, and he has the highest title. He is Lord. He is the master of all. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This humble mindset, Paul says in Philippians 2, is ours in Christ Jesus. Our response to such love and humility cannot be prideful. We must rather humbly submit ourselves to God's will for our lives. We cannot look at the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and exaltation of our Savior in pride. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Have you ever tried to do a job with too many bosses and not enough workers. Everyone is willing to offer their opinion, but no one is willing to submit to the other and put the work in. So the job drags on because you can't decide where to start. And when you finally do make a decision, everyone has been out of shape because they didn't get their way. And so no one wants to work and the job just drags on. It becomes a huge headache. It's a nightmare. Because you have too many bosses and not enough workers. And this is exactly what happens when the church indulges in pride. The ministry of the church is frustrated by egoholics, by people that are all about themselves. When we demand things to be done our way and we demean those that disagree with us, we are hurting our church. 
This kind of pride does not belong in the church, and it does not belong in the body of Christ. We are called to imitate Christ by practicing humility. Now, if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, I really wish so-and-so is listening right now. They really need to hear this message. Then you're exactly who Paul is warning. Paul is talking to you. He's not talking about someone else. His command is for you. If you think your ways are best and everyone should follow your lead, don't think so highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. If you think that you can run that ministry better than so-and-so or do that job better than they can, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If you think that this church needs you and couldn't go on without you, remember, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you think you deserve more recognition for your service to this church, don't think so highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. In contrast to this prideful mindset, how can we humbly serve our church? Number one, don't consider any task too small. The gutters may need to be cleaned. The toilet may be clogged. Someone might need a ride to the dentist or a doctor's appointment. No task is too small for you. So serve by doing what is necessary. Number two, no task is too big for you. God's grace is sufficient for anything he calls us to. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he, that's Christ, said to me, that's Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God will enable you to do what he wants you to do. It's not humility to say, I can't do that. Because the focus is still on me, I, we should say, by God's grace, I'll try. By God's grace, I can. No task is too big for us because of God's grace. Number three, be willing to accept the service of others. When someone offers to make you dinner or help you out, take them up on that offer. To deny someone's offer of service is prideful. Even the greatest servant, Jesus himself, who we've been called to imitate, allowed his feet to be washed. Accepting the service of others is a sign of humility. This is how we can serve with humility. No task is too small, no task is too big, and be willing to accept the service of others. Serve Christ church with humility. Clearly, humility is vital to our grace-empowered service. Not only are we to serve with humility, but verses 4 and 5 give us the second attribute of grace-empowered service. You can serve Christ's church with unity. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Paul is describing the church using this analogy of a body. The church is the physical representation of Christ on earth. We are one body with different parts, different members. Each member has a unique function. Each body part has a different job. Cambria Baptist Church is one body. We have many different members with different abilities, preferences, and weaknesses, but we all make up the one body. Notice the theme of verses 4 and 5. We have unity in diversity. The body of Christ is diverse in many ways. We have men and women, young and old. We have teachers and helpers and deacons and pastors. We all have different backgrounds and upbringings and ethnicities. We have different ways of thinking and even different ways of talking. And this is all necessary for the health of the body. The body is diverse, and that's good. We can't have a church of all Christian Browns. That wouldn't work. That wouldn't be good. The body is to be diverse, to be healthy. But the body is also unified. Unity is only possible because of the position that we have in Christ. We are one body in Christ. That means we have a common fellowship in the gospel. We have a common hope in Jesus. We have a common destiny in heaven. Our unity as a body is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Without him, we are all still dead in sin. We are all hopeless and destined for hell. But in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. We have the righteousness of God accredited to our account. We have a relationship with the Father, the creator of the universe. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have an eternal destiny in heaven with God. Because of our position in Christ, we have unity. This unity involves our goals. Verse 5 says, we are individually members one of another. That means we are here to serve one another. We have unity in our bond. We have a common pursuit to love and help each other. We exist as a church to glorify God by spreading the gospel and loving others. We have unity in our mission, the Great Commission, to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. We make disciples by loving God and loving others. If you're not seeking to love your fellow church members, then you are hurting the unity of this church. Humility is necessary for unity. The order of this passage proves this. First, we must have the right mindset. Then we need to have the right direction. If we only come to church to occupy a pew, then we've missed the point. We exist to worship God by serving each other. Sadly, our pride disrupts this. We think, you know, I don't get along with the people in my church. Or no one talks to me, or it's awkward, so I don't stick around. But God's word teaches us we have a bond that is stronger than any other in the universe. 
We are family members in Christ. We are all a part of the family of God. I'm sure if we put a little more effort into getting to know our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our view of church and service would be radically changed. It may be uncomfortable, it may be awkward, but we should be willing to give those things up in service to our Savior. One day, each of us will give an account before the Lord for how we handled the Word of God. That means you will stand before God and explain to Him why you neglected the unity of your church by refusing to serve. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Our bodies are made up of around 30 trillion cells. 30 trillion cells, estimation. Every cell in your body has the exact same DNA in the nucleus. The DNA is what determines the function of the cell. But skin cells are different from brain cells, and brain cells are different from white blood cells. So if they have the same DNA, then why are they all so different? Well, there's a component in each cell that determines what part of the DNA will be used in that individual cell. This is all going on right now in your body. But what if your brain cells decided to become skin cells? Or what if your skin cells decided to become blood cells? It wouldn't work. The body would die. The body would fail. Paul's analogy here is crystal clear. Our church has different parts that are all important to the health of the body. And we have the same DNA. We are in Christ. But if one part decides, if one cell decides that he is not useful or that his neighbor isn't useful, then the whole body suffers. Paul continues this analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This chapter is devoted to this idea of spiritual gifts. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul says that God arranged the body the way he wants it to be. God arranged our church the way he wants it to be. So don't envy other gifts. Use the ones that God has given to you. The ones that he chose to give to you. We have to serve faithfully. With unity. So how can we be unified as a church? Certainly the first attribute that we talked about is important. We must be humble. 
Not only that, but we need to embrace our diversity and respect our differences. We all have different functions in this church, but no one is more important than the other. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, if you're a music leader or a wanna worker, all of our jobs are equally important. We all make up the one body. We can serve with unity. If you remember that Christ is the head of this body. So submit your desires and goals to him. Serve to honor the head, not yourself. We serve to please our savior, not ourselves. Serve for the glory of Christ. You may be the foot. Your service might be behind the scenes, but it is still important and it is still vital to the body. You might be the biceps. You might be the pretty part of the body, but you are nothing without the bones and you're not going anywhere without the foot. So be thankful for those that do the jobs that you aren't gifted for. And remember, no ministry is superior over another. They are all necessary. We all are diverse, but we make up one body. So Paul has told us that humility is necessary for unity. And unity and diversity is essential to the health of the church. With this in mind, Paul describes the third attribute of grace-empowered service. You can serve Christ's church with purpose. Verses 6 through 8 say, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul is saying we all have unique gifts. The purpose of this section is not to list a comprehensive categories of gifts. There's only seven listed. Actually, in the passage we already read, 1 Corinthians 12, there's many more listed. And there's actually differences between the lists. This passage isn't here so that you can go, okay, which one am I? It's not even to help you identify which gift you have. Paul is listing these general categories of spiritual gifts that we all have a unique blend of. These are general colors, red and blue and green, and we all have a different blend of these colors. You may be good at teaching or helping or singing, but the emphasis here is on using your gift. And once again, we see the source of these gifts, the grace given to us. God has bestowed on us his all-powerful sovereign grace. Actually, the word used for gifts here And this passage differs from other lists in the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians 12. Paul uses the word charisma, which comes from the word for grace, charis. As you can see, they sound similar. Paul is emphasizing the source and the power of our service. It is the grace of God. We have no excuse to not serve God. Therefore, let's use our gifts 
that he has given to us. And notice the universal nature of this passage. This is all of us. If you are part of the body of Christ, then you have a gift. And you are to use that gift. So what are some of these categories? Prophecy. This is the gift of proclaiming God's word. In those times before they had the completed canon, they would proclaim God's word as the Holy Spirit shared it with them. But now we have the completed word. And so hopefully your pastors have the gift of proclaiming God's word. And he says this should be exercised in proportion to our faith or in the measure of the faith. If we preach God's word, then it must agree with the rest of scripture. And it should be done with confidence in the power of God's holy word. If we preach, we preach knowing that God's word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So preach with purpose. The list goes on. If service in our serving. The word for service is the same word for deacon in the New Testament. It's someone that faithfully contributes to the ministry of the church. If you contribute, then do it. Then he says teaching. This is moral instruction from the word of God. A teacher is someone who provides guidance from the Bible. If you can teach, then do it. Then it says exhortation. This is the ability to help others do what they have been taught to do. It's to encourage, to help, to counsel. This could be warning a sinful brother or encouraging a faint-hearted member. Paul repeats that phrase over and over again. The one who blanks in his blank. He's emphasizing the action not the gift. The emphasis here is on the need for us to use our gifts to serve Jesus Christ and his church, not on identifying who has what gift, saying you are gifted, and if you have these gifts, then do them. The list continues with the one who contributes in generosity. This is someone who shares their time, money, and resources with their church. It says if you can do this, do it with a heart of sincerity and love, not begrudgingly. God doesn't want a grumbling giver. He wants grateful givers that do it out of love. Next, it says the one who leads with zeal. Leadership is the ability to guide others. Many of us have the gift of leadership. Leaders cannot be lazy no one likes a lazy boss that barks commands and never does anything himself. Leaders should be hard-working servants. Then the seventh gift, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's another general category that could be any act of sympathy. This is caring for those in need, tending the sick, visiting the lonely, helping the elderly, feeding the hungry. We are to exercise this gift with cheerfulness, not grudgingly or slothfully. These seven gifts are not exhaustive, but Paul is laying down the pattern for grace-empowered service. The message is simple. Serve with purpose. Serve for the glory of God. Serve with zeal, diligence, and joy. 
Serve because Jesus Christ saved you and enabled you to serve. When we fail to serve our church, we are doubting the grace of God. Scripture has called every Christian to serve because we have been blessed with gifts to use for the building of Christ's kingdom. If we ignore this calling, then we belittle the grace of God and we doubt his power. God has given you a purpose here in this church. And once again, Jesus is the ultimate example of how we should serve. In Mark 10, 42 through 45, Christ teaches us a lesson about service. He says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that the, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones ex- exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ is the sovereign king of the universe who deserves all worship and glory and praise served us by dying on the cross for our sins. And he is telling us to model that service. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to be first, become a slave. This is what God desires of you, to serve your church. This job has a purpose. We're not politicians. We don't show up to events to look good, to sign a hat, and gain voters. We're here because in God's sovereign plan for the universe, he wanted you to be at this church to have an impact on Gary or Stephanie or Jimmy so that they can see the light of Christ and turn to him in faith. You have no idea the impact that your service can have on those around you. But I assure you that God knows. God sees your service. And he has promised that he will reward you in heaven with an eternal and imperishable reward. It's all worth it. Serving the church is worth it. You can serve with purpose By remembering these truths. Number one, God has saved you and sovereignly placed you into a local body. God has you here for a purpose. Second, God has given you gifts and abilities that are necessary to the health of this church. Third, you can glorify God by exercising your gifts to serve and love the members of this church. God didn't make a mistake by putting you here. You have a purpose. So by the grace of God, serve. Depend on God's grace and do something. If you're good at fixing cars, then serve your church by fixing someone's car. If you're disciplined to pray, then commit to praying for your fellow church members. If you're a gifted writer, then send someone a card. If you like hard work, then volunteer to clean out someone's gutter or yard. You don't need permission to do these things. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 has commissioned and gave us permission to present our whole lives as sacrifices to God. That is your permission. You can use your abilities to serve Christ by serving his church. So what's holding you back? Will you accept the job or deny the God who gave it? We can rejoice in knowing that God has placed each of us here for a purpose. We are here to serve our Savior. One commentator said, Devotion to the Lord and active, faithful ministry for Him are inseparable. We cannot be truly sacrificed to Him and be inactive in His work. Our God has given us a mission. Make disciples. Jesus Christ promised that nothing will prevail against the building of his church. As God's child, he has equipped you to serve your church with humility, unity, and purpose. Will you obey your Savior, or will you sit back and miss out on this glorious mission? Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to humble ourselves. As we consider what Christ has done for us, help us to respond with humility. Help us to serve your church with unity. And help us to serve with purpose. God, we're thankful that you have placed each of us here according to your divine wisdom, and you have a plan for us, and it is good. Help us to trust you, to follow you, and to love you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.